Hello and welcome to the Hub Systems Podcast, the voice of man's model moments, the blog of the various ramblings on the modelling and gaming antics of my son and I. My name is Alex Mann, and with me is my son, Oscar. Hello. Today we also welcome the designer of upcoming new game, The Drowned Earth, James Baldwin. Hello, thanks very much for having me. You're more than welcome, James. We start with our new regular, uh, which is the review of the listener poll. Last week we had, is Spartan Games' dystopian world Kickstarter a good idea? And will you be backing it? Which we didn't get very many responses to, but those that we did, we had a 100% response rate of, hell no, what are they thinking? <laughs> so thanks again for those of you that did respond. And please don't forget to take a look at this episode's poll on the blog website, which is Man's Model Moments. After the show, it would be great to get some more feedback and some discussion on some of the points that we raise. Now, as always, we need to determine what we've been up to in the great world of hobby time. So, Oscar, what's been keeping you busy in your free time this week? Or this month, actually, because we've been a, a little while off the, little, off the Yeah, we haven't been doing much. Well, you know, I could usually just give you the lie of I've been working, but <laughs> I haven't that much. So, mainly, I've just been wasting my time on games, like usual. Being video games, mainly. Yeah, video games, sorry. Um, although, speaking of video games, I did see that... Obviously, we're not massive 40k fans, but soon, I think it's an open beta at the moment, but Games Workshop's new game, Deathwing, is coming out soon. That actually looks quite good. Yeah, you actually sent me a... Well, you showed me a video of that earlier, didn't you? Yeah, I did. It does actually look pretty good. Um, Which is quite surprising. But it's quite surprising because Games Workshop have been fairly liberal with their franchises for various games, and... Let's say not all of them have been good. They had uh, a couple of good they've ones. They've had a couple of good ones and a couple of really very not good really ones. Bad so ones. It, it's very important. It really is, it seems to be a roll of the dice when Games Workshop do video games or people do video games with the GW license. And this does look like a good one. So quite looking forward to how that actually looks. James, do you um, do you play video games at all? And are you a 40k player or interested in that universe? Um, I haven't played 40k since I think about 1992. Uh, so, <laughs> so that's a no. Um, uh, yeah, I like the universe, um, sort of. I'm not, I'm not sort of mad keen on it, but it, but it's good fun. Uh, and video game wise, yes, I do. I try and avoid them like the plague, uh, because they just sort of <laughs> suck me in, yeah. uh, <laughs> and I end up not doing any work. Um, but, um, sounds like I'm, someone I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Best avoided uh, at all costs, but um, no. I've um, what was I playing recently? I, I played all of the uh, in uh, oh uh, the Last of Us. Uh, that was uh, oh, that has to be one of my favourite games. Yeah, I think I think I, I said at the time it's it's definitely top five of all time. Um, and I've been addicted to uh, Star Wars Battlefront recently, although I'm terrible, really terrible at it. <laughs> That's because people like Oscar, who've been playing since they were born, uh, get onto it and they all these silly jumping moves that make them impossible to hit. Uh, not that I'm bitter about my Battlefront experiences. Um, I'm usually okay if I'm flying. If I'm in an X-Wing or a TIE fighter, I can usually yeah, take people down. Get me on the ground. It's not so pretty. So what about you, James? What else have you been doing other than uh, avoiding video games? Well, yeah, free time, free time. Uh, it, it, you know, I try and make free time, uh, even though I could just completely fill my time with, with, with work at the moment. Um, but I've been playing a bit of Blood Bowl, ah, right. getting uh, uh, reacquainted with that. So uh, it was always a game I, I, I remembered very fondly. 
uh, and coming back at it with the new edition, I remember why it's such a good game. Uh, it sort of seems, uh, I'm getting, uh, you know, sort of everyone loves to hate on Games Workshop, but they're actually, uh, I think they're really upping their game and, 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 uh, doing reasonably sensible things for a change. Uh, and the re-release of Blood Bowl, I sort of heard that news and thought, oh, God, they're going to screw it up, aren't they? <laughs> um, but they didn't, you know, and uh, it sort of, you know, makes you do a double take and say, hang on a minute, this is Games Workshop. They they always totally wrong-foot themselves. Um, but, uh, yeah, pleasantly surprised. Uh, production quality is fantastic, and they just left the rule book alone, which is exactly what I think the real fans wanted. Okay, because yeah, it's interesting because actually we've been saying that for a few weeks now. Is yeah, well, a few episodes, which is a few months actually. What's um, going on? <laughs> is Games Workshop do seem to have changed? I wouldn't say they've changed tack entirely, but no. there does seem to be a little bit of a shift in their some of their methods. I would say some of the things they're doing, as we'll see today, not all of them. <laughs> um, but certainly some of them. I mean, the Gene Steeler cult release, I think, was was pretty good. Yeah. I think we agreed on that. Um, again, like you said, kind of going back to what fans really wanted. But then, are there that many fans around? We don't want to dig that up again. But, you know, there are kind of almost a duality about Games Workshop at the moment. But this could be their comeback. Yeah. Which is good, because before it wasn't your duality, they were just doing really stupid stuff. So from my side, I've been busy with running Horde of the Dragon Queen, keeping the old blog entries going, including... One out uh, today on Firestorm Marder versus Dropfleet Commander. So obviously we had Dropfleet Commander last last episode. We had a little bit more time to actually get to grips with some of the ships and just compare those with, with Firestorm Marder in that. Those of you following the blog will see that we've got the Others, Seven Sins, which is a Kickstarter pledge that we bought into quite some time ago. It was a I think huge it was, box. It was a huge box. How late was it? Supposed to deliver in April, I think. Just a bit, just a bit. So just a little bit late, um, as all Kickstarters seem to be. We'll be talking about that in another episode, but it was a huge box that arrived. I still haven't finished the unboxing stuff on the blog. I think I've done three. Still got one to go with all the Kickstarter extras, which is actually but huge. It's good. Might need to split it. <laughs> yeah, um, looks fantastic. Haven't had a chance to do anything more than just we haven't had ogle a, minis. Yeah, we haven't had a play no. yet. I've been making some of the ships for Drop Fleet Commander, as I mentioned, and also got some... I placed an order for some of the ships from the recent uh, Black Friday sale that Spartan had. Still haven't got those after, what, 16 days? So, a little bit disappointed there. So um, your time's just, <laughs> you've been waiting for I've stuff. Been, <laughs> waiting. I think the other thing is we saw Arrival, didn't we? Oh, that was good. I saw it twice. Really good. And also Westworld. So, we got into Westworld. We had some of the prior episodes recorded. Been loving that. And can't really talk about that. Watch though, can the we? season finale, which is amazing. Can't talk about it. Can't talk about it. No, but I did work it out before it kind of came. Oh out yeah, out, whatever. So. Sure you did. <laughs> I haven't seen either of those, and and everyone has told me I need to. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, definitely. <laughs> I was a bit worried with the the Westworld because the original film holds a special place in my heart, having seen it, you know, quite young with your Brinner, and it's like scared the bejesus out of me at the time. <laughs> but they've done a really, really superb job on it, I think. It's kind of like a modern-day Game of Thrones in terms of quality, acting, storyline, you know, the whole whole shebang. And Arrival, that a- is... Arrival, yeah. Again, very... it's just one of those films which is... Well, you saw it twice, didn't you? I so... saw it twice, so I got to watch it again, but... And it is one of those films where after you've seen it, you think... You need to watch it again. No, I need to see that again, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, which I always, always enjoy. Okay, so before we go 
on to our main slot today. We do have our regular slot, of course, hit or miss. There hasn't been an awful lot happening, actually. Usually, this time of year, uh, a lot of companies clear out their cupboards. We're seeing a lot of that. Spartan are doing that. Games Workshop have released or re-released a whole bunch of Sisters of Battle. From what I can see, they haven't changed at all. They're the original minis. They've also cleared out the old Warhammer cupboards to try and get some money. (laughs) More money. We're not covering any of that because it's all old stuff, nothing new. The only new thing we're seeing, actually, is a kind of new old thing, because it is actually a really retro-inspired model, which is Canonus very... very a canonist for the Sisters of Battle. Now, James, perhaps we should go to you first for your impressions, as you've not played 40k since 1992. Well, this should look quite familiar to you. <laughs> in 1992, Sisters of Battle were definitely not a thing. Um, so, I, I mean, I am aware of them, but I've definitely got no nostalgia for them. Um, and yeah, it's not my favorite, I have to say. Yeah. As a model, uh, I think it's just a little bit generic looking, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, for me, there are two main issues that I have with this this model. And just for listeners who haven't seen this, if you go to Games Workshop and look at it, if this doesn't ring a bell, if you're not familiar with Sisters of Battle and not familiar with some of the second, third edition 40k, this is really inspired by a piece of John Blanche artwork which it reproduces very faithfully. Oh, yeah, of course. Now now you mention it, yeah. yeah. However, Mr. Blanche was working in the 90s, producing this sort of artwork, which at the time was kind of the vogue. It's not the 1990s now. And I must say, for me, the artwork looks quite dated, and the mini looks very dated. For me, it's very disappointing, because apart from it being ridiculous and defying several laws of physics in that pile of bones and her six-inch hoof that she's uh, got on top of it you know and it does look dated and silly and the stripes and everything all a bit bit odd it's just uninspiring to just copy a piece of artwork verbatim which is you know 20 odd years old just seems why would you do that i think they could have made a very cool upgrade to this, inspired by the retro artwork, but brought up to 21st century standards, and I think it could look cool. The other issue I have with it is it's just, it says everything that was wrong with wargaming in the 1990s, I think. You know, she has skull boob holders. Um, <laughs> she has skull kneecaps. It's just, you know, she has a corset, for God's sake. <laughs> you know, it's sort of this weird... Odd sexualization of a female character who's meant to be, you know, this strong leader. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, it just seems very dated in all aspects of it. And for me, unless you're a real fan of the Sisters of Battle at the time, and you want this to complete your collection, I just don't see why you would buy this. Especially for £15. If I wanted to complete my collection, I just... was. Is there an old model of this, or is this... No, I don't think so. Oh, that's all you got, really. No, because if there was an old model, it would look exactly the same as that. I can't deal with the hooves. Like, I'm pretty sure her foot's not going to fill the whole space of that boot. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, they they sort of don't work in the artwork either, but I think, for me, one of the problems with a a lot of these sort of retro-looking models is they... um, I mean, they're sort of very heroic proportions, aren't they? So... uh, They've got hugely oversized heads and hands, and they just look really clunky and not at all elegant. And if you sort of compare them to the to the science fiction miniatures being made by companies like Corvus Belli, yeah, exactly, 
you know, they re- they really do just, you know, they they look like they're 20 years old, which is where they belong artistically. Yeah, uh, yeah uh, you're right. If you put this next to an Infinity model, it would look like she was some sort of stumpy. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> she's meant to be a sister of battle, which is there meant to be kind of like elegant fighting, killing hot machines. She looks like she's going to have a real time running around the battlefield. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, even if you look at the rest of the, the sisters of battle and, and the re-releases, and I guess she does fit with the re-releases because they're exactly the Whether same. she fits with the re-releases for good or for bad. Well, yeah. But again, you know, the re-releases look dated because they are, and they're just all a bit silly. I mean, they commit the ultimate um, Space Marine sin of none of them seem to be wearing helmets. So, you they know. They look very 2D in that. <laughs> they do look very two dimensional because at the time, moulding restriction would give you that kind of flat look. If you think back to the Elder Pathfinders, mm-hmm. the old Rangers, they were cast very much like this. You get the sort of sword out to one side, gun out to the other to give them that pose because you've got the two halves of the model and you're casting in metal. So there isn't a flexibility. So that was a restriction of the moulding technology at the time, which just doesn't exist now. You know, and you'll see it in some of the, the other models, and looking now at the Retributor squad, which is very similar, you know, gun out to one side, sword out to the other. But like you were saying, James, with the heroic proportions and stuff, just all of the heads just seem to be huge, like the hair Yeah, as well. without helmets yeah, on, so they're yeah. huge targets. <laughs> Actually, that's a good point now that you say about it. Look at the ones with helmets on, and look at the ones without helmets on. How are you fitting the head in that helmet? Yeah, they are pretty much. Maybe, the maybe then, maybe they are wearing helmets. They've just got you know woman shaped um, face <laughs> face that's plates. That's it. That yeah. must be it. The ones we think are wearing helmets. That's actually that's their face. Actually, the face. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think the I, I think the willingness uh, for producers of miniatures to make a lot more cuts and expect the the modeler to assemble a really three-dimensional model instead of just making a sort of one-piece flat mould um, really opens up the, the possibilities, and that's something that, that everyone's willing to do yeah. now. And so going back and looking at these models, unless you're a collector who, who you know, wants to sort of rebuy your childhood, um, I don't really see the appeal. No, and in which case, you know, go on eBay. Yeah, yeah, buy the original. Exactly. So for me, I'm afraid Canonis unpronounceable surname is Miss Oscar. Yeah. Gotta say I do I do have a a, a a a strong nostalgia for John Blanche art. But hit or miss. <laughs> um the model is a miss. Yeah. Yeah, the model is a miss. <laughs> it's probably yeah. the nicest way to put it. Yeah. We we have to be brutal at the end of the day and come down to that one question. So I'm afraid Games Workshop big miss for Canada's very Diane very Diane. Very Diane. She, she's very Diane. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, that's how she will be called from now on. Okay, so let's move on to Forge World. We do have a few models here uh, we can cover. Uh, and starting off, we have the <laughs> Dare Do, or the Derry Deo Dreadnought with Arachnus Heavy Las Cannon Battery. So this is a obviously a Dreadnought, Space Marine Dreadnought, £65 from Forge World. So obviously it's resin, so it's going to be that little bit more expensive. And uh, I'm presuming this is a 30k unit. It looks like an older type of Dreadnought. They've yeah. been doing some of these um, over the past year or so. It's got a couple of huge last cannons and a big missile battery on the top. Oscar, do you want to start us off with this one? Well, first thing I was going to say is as soon as you said £65, something in my... St- oh, I felt sick in my stomach for a minute. My wallet was crying. But I don't get it. What? I mean, I suppose it, it's true to all of the old designs, because all of them have this kind of main body, like 
<clears throat> the legs and stuff. I can't say I'm a fan of the old Dreadnoughts. I do prefer the new ones completely. Yeah, I, the thing I don't like about it... I don't like the missiles. ...is the middle bit, uh, which looks like there's a Space Marine head in half of a speedboat. No, yeah, but that is the old... Dis- that's kind of... That's true to the older Dreadnought designs, isn't it? The 30K. The 30K ones. Well, they have done some which don't look like this, which I prefer... Um, I think it not having arms makes it look a little odd because it has legs which are very leg-like. And so you sort of anthropomorphise in your head, which then makes the sort of boat chest look odd together with the lasers. Also, in order to, in order to walk on two legs, you need arms to counterbalance. Yes, yeah, it must be swinging <laughs> those lasers from side to side. So it it looks very top heavy to me. Yeah, he's got to be careful. <laughs> so it, it's got the towel problem of take out a knee, and this thing's just toast. <laughs> Shake it slightly. Yeah, I mean they've learned the obviously they've been looking at the towel because they've got ankle guards. They so do have ankle guards. It would have good. to be a knee, not an ankle. So. Yeah, now that you mention it, I, I thought there's something bugging me about this, and it, it doesn't have arms. That's what. Wait, how long are those last cannons? Uh, they are pretty long. Oh, they're as long as the actual Dreadnought. They're as, yeah, they're as long as the Dreadnought is tall. It just looks like he's putting his arms out. Uh, mm. I think that missile array is there to counterbalance <laughs> the length <laughs> of those last cannons, maybe. Yeah, to me, it's it just doesn't somehow work. It's the arm problem. I think when you look at a mini, you know, you get that initial impression of sort of like yes or no, or I don't quite understand what it is, and. That's how this struck me when I first saw it, is like that. The gut of, mm, I don't really understand that. And then the more I look at it, I think, no. So somehow it just doesn't work for me. I think it's that speedboat kind of jutting design with the last cannons. Like you say, just makes it unbalanced mm. somehow. And the, the missile array, to me, is just superfluous. Well, James, what do you think about it? Um, I think it's kind of dumpy looking. Uh, it, I mean, it's nicely painted. <laughs> I'll give it that. Um but uh, yeah, it's an aesthetic which really doesn't do a lot for me. I have to say, it, I think were it me, I would have made those. Um, I, yeah, I would have got uh, flattened out the speedboat uh, aspect, and I would have had the las cannons as sort of shoulder attachments with arms underneath yeah. it. I think it would have given it more a, a more natural look. Yeah, yeah kind of like a, a micro titan. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me, uh, I'm afraid Derdu is a miss. <laughs> It, it'll have to be a miss for me as well, but the thing is, this could be fine with a few like changes. It could be, but it's not. Even one arm and one last cannon would have looked better. Which is the design of the the 40k dreadnoughts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what you've described is the existing product would have been fine, but <laughs> this sorry. is something different. So Yeah, yeah. It's a mess. Yeah. James? Uh, yeah, miss for me. So then we can move on. Let's move on to another vehicle. I guess we can call it a Dreadnought vehicle. So for £85, only £20 more than the Daredu, we have the Custard Calidus Grav Tank. <laughs> so I don't know why they keep having this Legio Custard thing. So we didn't like the minis that they had. Is this? Now they have a Grav Tank. This is 40k, yeah. Uh, this is 40k. Yeah. yeah. This is obviously advanced technology for the Imperium because it doesn't have wheels or tracks. So you've got a floating tank. This is quite a nice paint job as well. I do like the red. 
Whoever paints red in Forge World does it really well. And then you have lots of gold. It's got two big las cannons, really big las cannons, and some jets on the back, and it's sort of hovery array thing. So, James, do you want to do you want to lead us on this one? Um, it looks very front heavy. I mean, I have to say, I, I, I like this a lot more than uh, than the last two. Um, it, but it just still looks quite dated to me. But I, I, I mean, I think that's the aesthetic they're going for anyway. Vintage. Um, is this also 30k? Um, I'm not sure if it's 30k or 40k, but it's, I think this is the Legion Custodes, or the Custard Legion as we call yeah, them, the were the guys ones. who protect the Titans, weren't they? Yeah. And I think they get all the best kit, so this is one of those um, right, dug out from the Dark Age of Technology kind of bits of kit, hence the kind of retro look. I must say I yeah. like it. I'm not quite sure about the, the sort of way those nozzles slope down at the front. It looks like the resin sagged. It hasn't, but it looks like it's been too near a fire at the front. See, I don't mind the... I think well, it looks maybe it goes faster with those. I think it's just because they're so heavy underneath <laughs> yeah. as well. If, if, if they were narrower, then that curve would work quite well. But it just sort of seems like the mass is all up front, which, which doesn't make it look like it's about to speed off into the distance. But I do actually quite like the rest of it. Now, whether that's just a paint job or not. Also, I do, just do have to point out, I'm being pedantic here, if you turn this 360, you'll notice that the two LAS cannons are not parallel. Oh, thank God someone mentioned um, that. <laughs> yeah, so they're not aligned. Now, those of you who have used Forge World kits in the past will know that they did used to have issues with some of the resin being warped or difficulty in putting these together. So whether that's an indication of that or it was just, you know, somebody got it slightly wrong for the, the kit build for the studio paint job, I don't know, but just want to watch out for there. Otherwise, you know, I quite like this. Whether I would buy it, I'm not sure. I like it. I think one of the main things which actually is appealing for this is it's not over the top. It's yeah. sweet and to the point kind of thing. That's a good point, actually. How many skulls can we see on it? Zero. At, at the moment, I... There aren't any spikes, no. either. I feel a bit cheated. <laughs> yeah, I came to Games Workshop. <laughs> what is this? Oh, no, it's just Forge World. So <laughs> oh, Forge World. Forge yes. World comes with less skulls. Forge World's <laughs> logo is a skull. <laughs> The one thing I don't like about it is if you see at the front, in the yeah. like main body of it, there's this lid opening. I, I don't like how that fits in. Well, how are they going to get out? I know, but they could do it like more nicely. It just looks a bit... Bleh. But I'm being... I actually quite like it, yeah. Okay. I'm going to give it a hit. James? Still a miss for me, I'm afraid. Casting voters. Oh, damn it. I should have... <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, I like it. Mmm... I do like it, and it's actually, like, it's not that often. I'm going to give it a hit, this one chance, this this one-off, because it's actually it's actually not that bad. Okay, so a hit for the Custard Legion tank for Forge World. So that leaves us with just one more 40k release from Forge World, and then we have a Blood Bowl release, so that will be definitely one for James. He'll get casting vote there. Yeah, so we have the Ultramarines Legion Breacher Siege Squad, who are a regular bunch. Now, are these 30k or 40k? They look like they might be 30k. Yeah, I think these are 30k marines, perhaps. Yeah, they've sort of got that medieval visor yeah. thing going on over the, over the face, yeah, haven't they? Like which 30K uh, is guys. Mark something. They're 30k marines. They've got a big sort of Roman-style shield with a little bit cut out and a glaive-type axe. Bit of a Roman helmet there on the... I presume he's the sergeant. I presume so, because the others don't seem to have it. Yeah. Uh, so the regular guys, 
just regular guys. Uh, they look to have power swords, actually. Or just swords. Not sure. Definitely ultramarines, because they've all got little U's on their pommels. James, do you want to give us a, a go? What's your impression of 30k as a, as a thing, as opposed to 40k? I have a I have a slight caveat that that I despise space marines in all forms. Uh, <laughs> That's impossible, James. However, Everybody loves the space marines. <laughs> Games Workshop has told us. Yes, yes. Therefore, it must be true. <laughs> I'm leading the revolution. Um, no, I, as they go, I'd, I'd also just like to say they're also a fantastic paint job. Um, as as space marines go, I despise these considerably less than normal. Um, I like, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Roman stuff, so I, I like the sort of overt Roman aesthetic. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, Space Marines, as always, they're, they're never very interestingly posed because presumably there's a limit to what you can do in that armor. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I, as I say, I despise them slightly less than normal. Yeah, no, they're actually not that bad. Like, again, with, uh, going back to the tank as well, they're not over the top in any way. They they do what them they look like they're going to do what they're meant to do. I'm not sure they're about their survivability. I mean, what are they going to do with swords? I'm not really. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're. I mean, cool. <laughs> basically, they're a standard Space Marine squad with a, a bunch of Forge World accessories. So for seventy pounds, which seems Ooh. excessive considering this is a single tactical squad so what's a tactical squad these days it's not that much actually no. um you know you're getting new swords with hands a couple of the power glaive um, axe things and 10 shields and the arms to support both it seems a lot for what you're getting does that head not come as extra as well doesn't seem to because um, i think these doesn't are seem like a standard space marine i think it's standard 30k sprue perhaps Right, yeah, I yeah, see. Yeah, standard 30k sprue, so there's the Roman Legion type head. For me, you know, part of what... I, I quite like the 30k aesthetic compared to the 40k one, but for what you're getting extra over that, these guys, would I have them? I've always thought I like Roman stuff. I was always okay with Space Marines. I'm not quite sure I like the two merging together. So for me, there's a very Roman iconography on the on their seed shields or whatever they're called. Yeah, without a doubt just i don't like that so i think it's quite a select group that they're aiming for uh, and i think with any mini why would you limit your audience uh, yeah for that? but it's a select product you know because it's forge world they know the market they're going after these are ultramarines as well so it's a subset of a subset yeah that that is sort of their raison d'etre isn't yeah, it yeah i might so, be being naive here but why is there the big cutout in the shield uh so you can wiggle your sword through Okay, the axe guy's going to have a problem with that. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's just going to punch you with the with the head of the axe. <laughs> yeah, because it's not to see through. Because look, they've got a special little. I was going to say they've there. got like a visor, so it's they've got a visor which must go through this little tiny webcam. Yeah, I mean, hit or miss is a difficult one for me. I'll go first this time, so go I don't on, feel then. bad. <laughs> go on, you go first. Uh, see, I like this as a, as a thing. The the Roman aesthetic the shields and the swords but there are a few underlining problems with it the fact that it is an add-on kit and worth so much is probably the the worst thing it kind of just yeah really, seven, seven really pounds of mini you're kills paying, it. yeah you, where you can get I, that's just mm, no so where effectively that you could probably do this is 
yourself for just like the same kind of effect if you think about it. Like you know, everyone's got a bit box who's in <laughs> when yep. you've got for like forty k, thirty k models because they you have loads of extras. So I'm going to give it a, a miss just because of the execution of it. Okay, James. I'm going to give them a very impartial uh, hit because if I had to have Space Marines, I I would choose these ones rather than any others. Oh, casting vote. That's dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to call it as a miss. Now, I say that because I was an Ultramarines player, so I guess I am the target audience for these. I wouldn't buy them. So it's a miss for me for that reason. Because you wouldn't buy them. <laughs> so, last but not least... We have a release for Blood Bowl, Goblin and Halfling Referees. So, James, take us away with these. Um, I love them. They're utterly ridiculous. <laughs> uh, I think the Goblin is actually um, from the uh, computer game. Um, I think there's... I, I seem to remember there's like a cutscene of, uh, as you start the match, him flipping the coin, um, and you've got a top-down view. I'm not sure about the Halfling. Uh, specifically, but yeah, I like them. I, um, I, they're absolutely no use, are they? But, um, <laughs> yeah, fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, neither is a Blood Bowl player, so. Uh, no, yeah, we, I'm not. I, I would agree with all your comments. They're utterly ridiculous. They're, they're for comic effect. But then, you know, Blood Bowl is not a serious game in the way that, you know, 40k yeah, is a serious yes. game. I mean, 40k is not a serious game, but you know what I mean? Yeah. People playing it don't think that. So I think we leave just a single vote on this, and James, you can call it. Yeah, definitely a hit. Ever, everyone needs them. <laughs> <laughs> they are. Cause I think it's quite cool. If this guy is from the, the video at the beginning, uh, that's quite a nice little tie-in. So. And everyone loves the kind of silly mini- minis that you need, you know? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, NPCs. Okay, so that's it for Hit and Miss. Overall, we've got a miss for Games Workshop. Overall, actually, it's a miss for Forge World, but they were close. They got a couple of hits. Um, So, you know, as we mentioned previously, Games Workshop, they're kind of coming along. Forge World leading the way in that, because they seem to get certainly more hits than GW at the moment. Yeah. Uh, But at least they're getting some, because at one time they were getting none. Okay, so that takes us on to the main section of uh, the cast today, which is the Drowned Earth. Now, I've seen this pop up a few times on Facebook recently, various sculpts for the game, which is kind of what got me looking at it to start with. So we got in touch with James and invited him onto the show to tell us exactly uh, what the Drowned Earth is and where it's going in the next few months. So James, take it away. Okay, well, um, the Drowned Earth itself if we talk about the sort of background material which is always the the part of miniature games which which first appeals to me um i suppose you call it an alternate sci-fi setting um if you imagine a world quite a lot like our own that perhaps in 200 years or 250 years in the future um civilization is all but wiped out by some kind of cataclysm um the game time is set 200 years or more after that um and so it's it's not quite post apocalyptic it's sort of post post apocalyptic um but the world's seen rising sea levels and huge global warming uh and nature has reclaimed the earth and reclaimed the cities um but it's uh, a sort of environment of tropical ruins jungles and swamps and uh bayous and 
uh, sort of highland rainforest, this this sort of thing. Uh, but everywhere uh, is evidence of the previous civilization. So you have these uh, sort of towering ruins poking out of the top of the the jungle canopy, um, and that really is the the the, the contrivance of, of the gameplay. Uh, you have uh, crews of uh, brave or possibly foolhardy adventurers who are searching um, the ruins uh, for treasures of the bygone age. Um, civilization is beginning to re-emerge. People are beginning to settle down and organize into larger societies. Um, and that's uh, being driven um, by the rediscovery of certain technologies. Um, and, you know, technology is a very important part of the uh, the background really you know in some parts you have uh, steam power whereas in other places they've they've managed to get solar generators working um, so there's this sort of patchwork of of uh, uh, of activity um, where people are, are building up and trying to reconnect with each other and of course um, you know where that sort of stuff happens there are always people who are trying to take control um, and to engineer themselves into positions of power okay. Do you have Will Smith anywhere in there in a crashed spaceship? <laughs> there is there is no Will Smith anywhere, I'm afraid to say. <laughs> well, I suppose it would have to be somebody who looks a little bit like Will Smith for copyright reasons. <laughs> and his brave son, yeah. Excellent. Okay, so in this background of, of The Drowned Earth, then, what, where do you put your, your game? And, and what sort of scale is it? What sort of uh, interactions do you have? What, what's driving it? Well, it's a uh, skirmish scale game, so typically games will be uh, from 5 to 15 models. Um, it's largely a character-based game, so uh, all of the sculpts that we've released so far have been for the main characters, and it's possible to play a game just with five characters. Um, as you develop and, and want slightly larger games, you know, you can add troops and, and then there are also uh, beasts involved. Uh, one of the, the, the features of the civilization before, before this uh, world-ending cataclysm was that they did a lot of uh, genetic engineering and experimentation and creating um, races for reasons, some of which are known now, some of which have been sort of lost in time. Uh, but you have um, intelligent uplifts. Uh, so one of one of the main uh, races are the Barangay, who are effectively uh, very uh, anatomically very similar to gorillas, um, but with uh, human level intelligence and language. Um, and uh, in the wilds themselves are a lot of uh, prehistoric species which had been um, brought back to life Jurassic Park style uh, for various reasons. It was, I mean, I, I sort of won't, I could go into it and, and, and talk for hours, but it's largely to do with environmental crisis management, um, species, uh, um, food chains collapsing because key species are going extinct and scientists trying to replace them with more robust species who would fill the same niche. Um, and of course, what happened once uh, civilization ended uh, is the strongest survived. Uh, and so the biological makeup of the world is, is totally different. There are humans, but humans are now uh, the largest minority rather than a majority. Um, so 
as I was saying, skirmish level game. My design briefs really were to make a very narrative, very cinematic game, um, which would be able to be played competitively. Um, but competitive play wasn't the driving force of the design process, if you uh, understand what I mean. Yeah. So if you compare it to a game like War Machine where, you know, or, or even X-Wing where they've very clearly gone out of their way to design the rules uh, to suit organized play and competitive play, um, I think the Drowned Earth exists in a space a little bit more like, well, like Blood Bowl or 40K or Infinity or, or you know, games which, which can be played competitively and I've uh, done everything I can to to balance the game and to make sure that there, there aren't the sort of uh, huge uh, swings that you get in some other games where maybe the, the, the profiling hasn't been thought about carefully enough. Um, but um, ultimately, what I wanted to do was create a game where you would be able to tell a story of what happened afterwards. Yeah, I think... Um, Brilliant, we love those games. Yeah, from our experience, those are the best. They are the best. Definitely, I think... Um, yeah, that's definitely my feeling. Um, and, uh, you know, it just... It, it, it's, it, I'm pleased to say um, that I've done it. You know, I've, I've done what I set out to do. Every game has at least one of those moments where you can go and describe what happened without talking about the dice... Uh, all the mechanics, but you know, it just tells a story about this cool thing that happened. You know, the gorilla ran, dodged three bullets, picked up the objective, leaped off the bridge, um, got shot on the way down, uh, and landed in combat with someone. Um, and okay, I will talk about the dice. Managed while hitting this person to uh, roll a critical success, which gives you another action point, uh, and use that last action point to run off uh, the board with the objective and win the Excellent. game. So yeah, it's that. That's the sort of, you know, that's the sort of idea behind the game. That's what I wanted to achieve. If if you want to sort of use a term like unique selling point, um, and in my experience, so you know, I, I have played games like that, but but I've tried to make sure that the Drowned Earth gives you that effect with an absolute minimum of rules bloat. So I think when you talk about when games have reaction mechanics, uh, often those bring up all kinds of complications and all sorts of situations where uh, unexpected situations uh, where years down the development process, people say, well, what happens when you do when this happens and then this happens and this interacts with this? Uh, and even the game designer is scratching his head going, wow, yeah, no idea. <laughs> We've had reaction <laughs> mechanics and we've just thought, wait, how does, how yeah. does this work? Well, and also, you know, obviously listeners will know Facebook Spartan Games and it is interesting to come across those, you know, because out there in the real world, although something, as you know, is designed for a certain way, no plan survives contact with the enemy. Not the, not the people are the enemy, but players out there will try all kinds of stuff and all kinds of situations arise and that you might not have envisaged. Or somebody thinks, I'll try, I wonder if I could try this. And, okay, yep, 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 well, what happens then? It's like, this rule says this, this rule says that, this rule says the other. None of them really cover this situation. Um, and it does make it an interesting um, design space to try and shut all those doors while still preserving that kind of openness of play. So it be interesting to see exactly how you've done that. And I think that kind of leads us into the second part of this discussion, which is really, you can at the moment, you can go down and download the rules for the game uh, and actually play this game right now, correct? That's right. So the, the rules are free 
uh, online to download or the beta version of the rules are free to download. Uh, and we uh, we will always have a free version of the rules available to download even after uh, release. Uh, so people will inevitably buy the rule book because it's going to be really pretty. Rules that allow you to, to try before you buy to get the feel of the game. And as you say, with the open beta contribute into, well, I tried this and we don't really know what happens now. Uh, and get that, you know, much more global feedback. This is it's what brought really us into thing. Spartan. Yeah. yeah. Which is, it was, was probably the biggest turning point in our gaming, getting into Spartan. So, I mean, it was, I just, you know, it is a really good idea to have the open rule set. Yeah. I'm seeing a lot more people do it now as well. It's a sort of, uh, it's a, um, I mean, it's not fresh anymore, but but it but when people first started doing that, it was a sort of breath of, breath of fresh air, and I think it shows a confidence in your yeah. product that you can say, look, you can you can have this for free, and and just you know whatever models you've got at home on the website, you can download little paper standees that you can cut out uh, and glue to bases uh, and actually play a game right now, and we would love to hear what people think of the game. Uh, we'd love people to come back and provide us with that feedback. Uh, I've done uh, the the very best job I can so far um, at tying up any ambiguities and making sure that things like timing issues are quite clear, um, which wipes out a lot of the questions that people uh, end up asking. But inevitably, you know, when when you want to create a game with that kind of free and open gameplay, there are always going to be um, you know, sort of rough patches, and and uh, it, it's it, it's a question of do you want that competitive tightness or do you want that sort of narrative cinematicness? And 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 I want both, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I I think what what we've done is we've prioritised the the cinematic while keeping a very close eye on timing issues and ambiguities and trying to use consistent terminology throughout the rulebook so that it's very clear what's meant at all times. Uh, it's very clear in what order things happen. So where can people go to, to to get a copy of the rules, James? Well, the website is www.thedrowndearth.com. Uh, uh, that's everything uh, that you need to play is available to download there. There are also some templates in the uh, back of the uh, rulebook. Um, and uh, there's a little key uh, showing what size, um, wh when you print them out, measure it. It should be, I think, 2.5 centimetres, and if it is 2.5 centimetres, you know that they, they're, they're going to be the right size. Um, there's, uh, we also have a Facebook group, uh, which is just back, Facebook groups backslash The Drowned Earth, um, which is probably where you'll see the most regular updates, and that might be the best place for people to provide feedback and, and you know start to engage with other players and, and, and talk yeah. to people. It's certainly where we saw the, the pop-ups, and um, I think like most miniature gamers, you know, we saw some of the the renders, and that's kind of what you know originally was like. This looks interesting. Find out a little bit more about it. As you described, you've got quite a a well developed. Background. I think some of you you've got quite a bit of artwork there as well that we've we've looked at. Yeah, so there's kind of that feeling of it being more fleshed out. So tell us a little bit about the the factions that you've currently got, and then we can then we can get into the minis. <laughs> well, there are four factions, or or at least there uh, there are four factions written, um, and there are rules for. Uh, we are going to launch all four at 
uh, at Kickstarter. Um, and I'm hoping that uh, this isn't a guarantee, but I'm hoping that we'll actually be able to show them all printed, cast and painted uh, by Kickstarter. So we'll show the renders, but we'll also show the finished product so people have a, a proper idea of, of um, you know, the, the level of quality that they're going to get in their hand. Um, so the first two factions, uh, which are available to download as standees right now, um, are the artifactors who are effectively um, archaeologists and uh, tomb raiders. So, you know, you're sort of Indiana Jones, Lara Croft type person. Um, and their main uh, their, their main thing is going out into the wilds and, and, and retrieving technology. Um, they are good guys. Um, and while they obviously like finding expensive things, they are going to sell them responsibly uh, and sell them to scientists and people who want to further the progress of civilization in general, um, as opposed to people like the firm who are effectively the, the gangster faction of the Drowned Earth. So one thing that's that's different, I think, about the Drowned Earth is that the factions are not are not divided amongst racial levels on, on sort of, you know, racial um, along racial lines. Every faction is represented by members of the different species. Um, so we have humans, we have Dverg, who are sort of dwarf hobbit like uh, people, um, but largely human looking. Uh, there are the Saurians, who are your standard sort of lizard man type, uh, slightly dinosaur DNA anthropomorphic guy. And then we have the Barangi, who are the, the big guys, who uh, the, the gorillas. I thought uh, you were going to say the Harambe then. Ah. Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Damn, 2016. <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually one of the things I really liked uh, when I started seeing the, the factions is that there aren't these clear divides that it's kind of like... It's more, it's more about the faction ideology. Hmm. Yes, exactly. Descriptions rather than... Rather than and, and, you know, you have... Although there are populations of exclusive Barangi societies um, in the middle of the world, people are very mixed. Uh, and so uh, racial tension and, and, and racial cooperation uh, and sort of good versus evil and progress versus control are all themes which are, which are swimming around in the background. So it's, it seemed the, the more appropriate way to, to handle the factions. Um, so, yes, the firm are the sort of gangster uh, types who, who are into all sorts of nefarious activities, including, um, you know, uh, robbing people on the waterways, organizing protection rackets in the cities uh, and wandering the wilds to try and find, uh, you know, uh, uh, illicit technology uh, to sell to the highest bidder. Um, the third faction are the militia who represent the um, uh the defense forces of independent towns. So in actual fact, uh, the militia protect a town called Skyton, um, which is actually, it, it was originally an old motorway intersection um, and the city has been built up onto it. So, uh, you know, with, with uh, large uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex sized uh, monsters wandering around in the jungles, uh, protecting 
um, your settlements is a pretty important thing, and, and uh, you know you're protecting them from the wildlife and also from from people from other settlements who might want to come and raid you and what have you. Depending on where you are, um, you know the wilds are pretty wild indeed. Um, so the militia are pretty much a, a, a sort of sort of organised defence force, um, and the final faction are the bondsmen who are. Uh, bounty hunters, basically, um, bounty hunters uh, with uh, very low morals will most definitely be hired by by all and sundry, and they. Uh, they sound more like my kind of fashion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they, they they actually spend a lot of their time working for the uh, slaver groups of the drowner, um, retrieving or just making examples of escaped slaves. Oh, uh, and slavery is kind of big thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, they put all this resource in, you, know, you can't have slaves go running off. Exactly. You, evil. <laughs> you have to provide a proper deterrent. Um, but those are the four factions that we're that that, uh, that we're going to be releasing at Kickstarter. There are some plans for a few more um, afterwards, possibly in a second Kickstarter. Um, but I don't want to get too ahead of myself. Sure. I feel no. at this point I should point out that the. The project originally started off as a campaign style game, uh, you know, something like Necromunda or um, um, More Time, where your dudes level up over time. Now, it became clear quite quickly once I got the core rules down that I already had more than enough work cut out. Um, in balancing the profiles and making sure the core mechanics really work very strongly. So I decided to postpone that. But I'm hoping that there will be somewhere down the line a campaign system uh, for the game as well. Okay, okay, that sounds neat. I, I must say, you know, just going back to the, the factions being aligned around, you know, kind of like you said, Oscar, ideologies rather than uh, races, I think is a really neat idea, actually, because quite a lot of the time, you know, we've looked at games and it's like there's been this really cool-looking race. It's like, oh, yeah, these guys are the... The nice, sweet, fluffy guys. You're like, ah, well, I like the models, but I don't really want to play that kind of faction. Whereas oh, we're we're always cut between, isn't it? It's just like you get it's the humans and then the really cool aliens, and it's always yeah. just like, but I want to be the really cool aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have some of them yeah. in my group? It's like, no, they'll kill each other. Whereas here, you know, if I like, I don't like gorillas. Well, okay, maybe I don't get the gorilla guys for my faction, but I like the yeah. lizard dudes, so I get a couple of those. Maybe I like them all. You know, maybe I just want humans and. That gives you that flexibility to do that, which I, I think is a really neat idea. Yeah, indeed. Uh, the 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 um, I don't want to get uh, into describing too much the sort of force organisation because these are all things which are subject to change. Uh, but the, the the way you build a squad, uh, more or less, is that uh, probably um, no more than half of your squad, uh, can, in terms of points, can be made up of characters. And the other half will be troops and beasts. Um, so uh, there, I've just had some um, of the renders through for some rather nice Velociraptor-looking miniatures. Oh, really awesome, actually. Um, and uh, it just so happens that Nyx, the leader of the Artifactors, who's the, the red-headed girl with the bow, um, might be seen riding one of these things at some stage. Um, so we've got lots of plans for, for the future and after the Kickstarter where we will be releasing all of the characters and hopefully some beasts as well. Um, you know, there might be some stretch goals for other things, but we'll have to see. But in the rulebook, there will be profiles for a whole, um, 
a different gamut of troops for each faction, uh, which will be slowly uh, released on a, on a sort of regular release schedule. Um, and until those models are released, people are welcome to uh, use their own proxy models uh, to, to just sort of play and get those tactical options in the game. Uh, but yes, definitely, if you don't, uh, if you if you don't like the the big gorilla guys, then uh, you can swap him out and, and take three troops instead. No, I do like the artifactors medic Corian. Corian, yeah. yeah, I like I like medics who carry you know small submachine guns. <laughs> he's he's <laughs> a reluctant medic. medic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, one of the things I was going to say because you've got some of these pictures on on Facebook, not only the the artwork, the sort of concept artwork, but also the the renders then of yeah. the the three D sculpts, and I must say. Quite, quite a lot of artwork, you know, you see the artwork, you think, that's really cool, and you see the mini, and you think, okay, they sort of dropped that element, or, you know, improvised that bit, I don't think, you know, right. I'd have loved it to have been exactly Yeah, like it's really the, good when you can't tell the difference between the art uh, and the actual mini. Well, I was actually <laughs> going to say, I actually prefer the the guy in the, the no, 3D say, sculpt from, it's from the artwork. Yeah, how, you've carried through well, all of those elements, and I think improved on, on a couple of them. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 really very very pleased with the way that the sculpts are coming out. I have to say, I've I, I spent, I think that they're particularly for new miniature companies who maybe don't have a have a lot of money um, or just you know a lot of options. It it can be difficult to get sculptors, and there's an awful lot of very generic uh, sculpting work out there. And I think sometimes that's the fault of the sculptor. Uh, you know, maybe they don't they don't have proper artistic training they've just sort of self-taught themselves how to use the sculpting software i think a lot of the time the problem is also the concept art that it might be beautifully rendered and fantastically uh, uh, they're very technically skilled but the concept art doesn't have much life to yeah. it uh, and so i've really tried to work hard to find people who fire off each other very well and when you get that combination of of an of a, a two-dimensional artist that really inspires the 3D artist, then you kind of create a little bit of magic there that neither of them would have been able to do by themselves. Yeah, again, I'm just looking here, flicking between the, the concept art and the, the render for the, the Sage, the artifact is tough. And again, yeah. I think the, the 3D render is immense, really, really nice. And again, an improvement on the concept art. Yeah, I, I, in that case, I definitely agree with you. I think that the um, the, the Sage model, he he really, the sculptor really knocked it out of the yeah. park. Yeah, I'm super glad you kept the lizard on his hand. Well, yeah, and not only that, <laughs> yeah, it really that looks was... like it's clinging on like lizards do. We've got a lizard. You yeah, know, you can imagine our lizard's called Jimmy. So you can imagine Jimmy, <laughs> who actually looks very similar to this yeah, lizard. The tail goes around. The way around the tail really well. around, yeah. It's like really, really nice. It shows a real understanding. Fond. Just to take a, a complete, well, it's not a complete segue, but um, last night I was watching, completely by chance, a TV programme on Walt Disney. And, well, the, the lengths, really, what Walt Disney did to take animation into what were you mainstream. What was it? It was about Walt Disney, so, I don't know, some sort of... Oh, it was a documentary. Documentary. Um, and basically, he, when he created Snow White, he got actors to come in, and he had all of his design people, all of his artists, watch people in dresses, twirling, facial expressions when they're saying how they say certain yeah. words. The detail was just incredible. So that they understood yeah. how things moved, so that when they drew things, it looked, you know, real. And the emotion came through, so... Because he was trying to create art, right? Oh, yeah. Things, yeah. Which is quite stunning. And it's kind of that kind of understanding. And this kind of demonstrates exactly that. It's understanding 
of how things move and how things really work. You know, how does a lizard yeah. actually stand in that sort of position when it knows it's it's um it's as much about anatomy as yeah. anything else and, and and a two-dimensional artist does need to understand anatomy but they don't need to understand it anything like as much as a sculptor yeah. um and so interestingly you know when you're working with the sculptors what they what they say is you know they look at the the, the concept and they're like that 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 just simply will not work <laughs> in three dimensions i'm going to have to change it and i say you know what i i want you to change it because uh there's something i mean uh the, one of the models that came in recently, he he uh, had um, he, he's swinging a big hammer, um, and the hammer was way way above his head, and it looked good. It was great. There was uh, nothing wrong with it at all. Um, but it just uh, for an already large model, it made the model way way too tall for uh, in practical terms because you know drowned earth is a game where you're going to be climbing and leaping and, and yeah. ducking and diving through scenery. Um, so you know it made it made the model about seventy. Uh, millimeters tall or something like that so i said just drop it so that it follows the angle of his spine and as he dropped it the sculptor he just put a little twist in the wrist um and just something as simple as that extra bit of tension yeah. uh completely made the sculpt yeah. and yeah i think you're talking about this one on the screen Hosk, yep, yep. yes. The, I do uh, want to say his name in case uh, the you listeners didn't. won't have seen that one yet. But uh, yeah, he's he's coming no, too. No, because you've, you've sent us some things that nobody else has seen yet, which is very nice. And yeah, I would agree. I mean, it you know, because I was looking at this and thinking, the firm gangsters, not sure. But yeah, I really yeah. Want this he's, guy. he's a he's a good one. <laughs> he's a good one. But yeah, those those concepts are, are coming out soon. Probably what will happen is that we will uh, we'll uh, release renders for the first two factions uh, in the in the lead up to the Kickstarter. But the the last two factions won't be seen literally until the Kickstarter is is released. I expect that's what we'll okay. do. So I'm going to come to the Kickstarter in one second, but I just have to ask you. Yes. So the scout for the artifactors, why is he holding a small, is that a cuddly toy or? Well, you know, in the concept art it was, and that was actually a slight miscommunication between the concept artist and, and myself. Um what it actually is, and it's a bit difficult to see from the render, but there's a certain scene in a certain Indiana Jones film uh, with a gold statue. Yep. Uh, and gotcha. it is the gold statue yep. from that scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. It looked more like a skull in the render. And I was thinking, but there it's, I'm not quite sure what that is. <laughs> so I, I had to ask. Yep. You so you mentioned the Kickstarter then. So tell us a little bit about the Kickstarter. When do you plan to, to go live with the Kickstarter? What kind of campaign will well, it be? The Kickstarter is going to go live on the 16th of April, uh, and we will be demoing uh, at Salute uh, the week after that. So anybody anybody who's going to Salute can can come along and uh, play a three by three versus three uh, game and sort of get a sense of what kind of game it really is. Um, I think we definitely need to book our time there already because I know yes. we'll be at Salute and we will be we won't be working this year, so we'll actually get a excellent, to excellent. Well, I look forward to seeing you. So yeah, excellent. So the Kickstarter, we, we're quite determined that we're not going to, you know, we will obviously try to uh, think carefully about what, uh, about how we can provide people with good value for money and stretch goals and, and you know, sort of uh, exciting stuff if, if, if it really takes off. But what, what we really don't want to do is set ourselves such a huge task um, that if, if the Kickstarter, you know, Touchwood does 
become very successful um, that we end up having to deliver it six months late because we promised far more than we could actually deliver. And we'd much rather have a smaller Kickstarter that maybe wasn't as successful um, because we didn't try and seduce people with lots and lots of free stuff that that we couldn't feasibly deliver on in within a reasonable time frame. No, that's understandable. I think people's experience with Kickstarters varies, but delays, I think, are almost an accepted part of them these days. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, we've, we've tried to do as much of the development work as possible uh, before the Kickstarter in order that we can give people a sort of... I mean, it's interesting that your, your poll result on, uh, on the... Uh, um, Oh, wait, what was it? It wasn't Drop Zone Commander. It was um, Spartan. Spartan have currently got a Kickstarter for Dystopian. Dystopian Wars, that's right, that's right. Yeah, so, I mean, there's that sort of debate going on, isn't there, about what's Kickstarter for? Is it a pre-order system for established companies, or is it for people, you know, uh, like myself, who who are trying to get something off the ground and, and, you know, need need that security of knowing how you know how many you've sold in order to be able to produce without without uh, the associated risk um and i think it was originally conceived to be the latter but nowadays it's most certainly the former and and, and whether you agree with that or not isn't doesn't really make any difference uh, to the reality of the situation. So I decided that I that if i was going to go down the kickstarter route uh, on this that we would be showing people as much of the finished product as we possibly could. Uh, and what I hope is that, um, you know, after the Kickstarter, they'll, they'll be, uh, you know, I mean, if we've, if we just hit our goal, then everything will have already been sculpted. Everything will have already been prototyped and we will just be ready to go to uh, production on the miniatures. And then things like the graphic design for the rule book um, and refining the the, um, the wording and that kind of stuff will uh, will take a little bit of time. But we're talking about production pipelines rather than. Uh, uh, sorry, manufacturing pipelines rather than production pipelines, if that makes a sense. Yeah, yeah I think, um, and the, the reason that we kind of had the, the listener poll last week was particular to Spartan and some of the issues they've already had around delivering standard product, which we picked up on in my, uh, I alluded to from my order. So, you know, Kickstarter, introducing those delays, I think, when you're already struggling with what you're doing day to day, I think yeah. the potential for harm actually in a kickstarter rather than good for a company is quite high you know i think yeah. you have to think yeah. long and hard about that yeah i mean kickstarter's an interesting one we've backed a lot of kickstarters this year yes um, i mean we backed a couple last year in fact i'm wearing a smartwatch which arrived this week which came from a kickstarter <laughs> yeah kickstarter's um, good actually yeah we've had pretty positive experiences Ones that deliver on time or close to time, you definitely get a much more positive feeling than I've just given up on when my stuff is going to arrive. It will just come at some point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is kind of what we got to with the others, isn't it? And Cthulhu Wars. The Cthulhu Wars, yeah, which will be arriving in January, we hope. So we were expecting to get a, a well, a pallet worth of stuff. A crate. <laughs> <laughs> from various places before Christmas. Now it's going to be pretty much all afterwards, but. After yeah yeah I I, I so when I when I back something I I don't even look at the delivery date anymore I just uh, I I think it'll come when it comes uh, but you know that's as a consumer as somebody sitting on the other side of the table I, I really want to do the best job I can to uh, to get people their stuff within you know the the promised time frame um, yeah and I the think other, that's a really you know just it's it's a really 
I was going to say noble, but that sounds a bit highbrow, but it, I think it's a very, it is a very noble way to look at it and think, you know, actually my intention is absolutely that we're going to do this. And to design your Kickstarter around that to say, yes, we could do all of these big flashy things, but that will, we know that will have an impact on when we can actually deliver. Yeah, yeah I mean, successful. It's... So we scale that back a bit and do it in a slightly different way than we can get, like you say, maybe a smaller campaign, but one that delivers on or close to time rather than one that you know, like the others, ends up delivering six months or nine months later. Well, I feel like it's um, it's certainly the the most ethical way to approach it, but it is kind of selfish as well because at the end of the day, I don't want to be huge next year and nowhere in four years' time. Yeah. I'm happy to be small next year and a little bit bigger the year after and huge in five years. And the way you do that is by by making sure that you satisfy uh, customers and and you're straightforward and you know uh, behave uh, responsibly towards people. Definitely couldn't agree more. I, I think as well if you went back and said, well, we're thinking about you know two more factions for the game. We're going to kickstart this, you know, so it doesn't affect our standard production lines. If you've already had that relationship with your customers, that you've done everything, you know, very openly, very honestly, you've designed things so that you deliver, you know, to time or thereabouts. It's much easier to go back to that well and and you know refresh from it. Yeah. Like if you've got yeah. a Kickstarter where you said, yeah, I know we said this, but actually what's going to happen is this, this, and this. For instance, Hawk, you know, very successful Kickstarter with, with Drop Fleet. They yeah. are still fulfilling pledges while, you know, retail shops, we just bought battleships. Uh, well, I say we, I just bought battleships <laughs> <laughs> for my factions, um, yeah. which have arrived before, you know, still people are waiting for pledges. Now, I can understand that Hawk, you know, had the arrangements with their retail supply, uh, which they put in place because yeah. they agreed to on the Kickstarter. But I also understand how bitter that must feel if you're a Kickstarter back. Yeah, and absolutely. Yeah. Pledge. So you can I, see both I, sides and you can see all the best, you know, will and intent. But the fact is that it's going to be difficult for them if they were to go with another Kickstarter to go back to those people who haven't got their pledges now and say, would you like to do this? Because most people are going to say, no. no. <laughs> uh, yeah. Some of those that got their pledges on time will be like, yeah, that's fine. Some who are understanding will say, yes, it's fine. Others, you know, are going to look at it and say, I'm not going to get bitten by the same fish twice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, and in fairness to them, they're in a very difficult position because I don't yeah, think absolutely. they ever conceived that, that it would that it would be a 600,000 uh, uh, pound Kickstarter or whatever it was. You know, it was absolutely immense. I, th- I, I suspect that the best they thought they'd do was, was one-sixth of that. Um, and so then, you know, you're, you're in a difficult position where even if you haven't over-promised, sh- uh, just simply by the, the volume of, of um, demand, uh, you're going to struggle. Yeah. Uh, and I think that leads back to, you know, your point about the design of the Kickstarter. It has to be designed that you look at it and say, well, if this does go mental, can we do this? Yeah. Honestly, you know, be really honest with ourselves. Could we? And if the answer is no, then maybe you need to look at it and say, well, perhaps we should tone these elements down, or yeah, and accept yeah. that maybe you won't get, you know, the the six hundred thousand, but you know, maybe a hundred is what you're aiming for and really want. So yeah, I I sort of feel like maybe at that stage it's time to admit defeat and uh, employ a fulfillment company. Uh, to, to to do all, all of that sort of stuff for you and, and, you know, take it on the nose and say, financially, we've done very well. And this obviously is a, a smaller margin than we wanted. But, you know, when, when you take half a million quid, you can afford a smaller margin. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about some of the minis, because I know, you know, we're a miniature podcast uh, in a lot of ways. So I'm going to challenge you on one of your minis. 
And that's Anna, the Artifactor's mech. So, Okay, yeah, yeah, she... She's the most controversial. Yeah, so one of the things that I've commented on several figures in the past about, I've mentioned it on the podcast as well, is sort of sexualization of female characters in gaming. And, you know, to go, not that it's not something you can do, but it's something that has to fit with characters and fit with, you know, if you're a space marine wearing a halter top and, you know, some bionic leggings, is that really going to be good for the 41st century combat? Probably not. You're going to probably get torn to pieces in seconds. So therefore, why have you got a mini looking yeah. like that? So, tell me about your uh, the design process behind Anna, then. Because she is, let's well, say, fairly well-endowed for a young lady. <laughs> she's a bit heavy up top, and she's got a, uh, quite a lot of midriff yes, showing. Yes, indeed. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well... I, uh, so, I mean, this is actually something quite close to my heart because I, I, I um, am sick of seeing female characters whose number one characteristic is that they're female and, uh, you know, hot. Uh, but I don't think it's a crime to make a, a, a miniature of uh, a good looking girl either. Um, I just think that the personality should come through um, as well. Uh, you know, and may, maybe... Uh, a woman's attractiveness is an important part of her personality as an individual. Uh, When that's true of every single female character in a a video game or a miniatures game or whatever, then I think it's problematic. But but I've definitely tried when when giving the the design briefs to uh, the concept artists uh, to make sure that all of the female and male characters have... um, unique personalities um and uh i definitely feel as though anna does um you know she sort of exudes this kind of uh cheeky attitude um but yeah she's definitely a a, a sexualized character without without a doubt um but we also have sexualized male characters and i mean the fact that if she's not wearing that drama i mean she does have a, like a sniper rifle kind of thing <laughs> Yeah, I mean, armor's not armor's not really too much of a thing for the artifactors. None of them are wearing any armor. Um, in fact, it's mostly when you get to the bondsmen and the militia um, that there's uh, that that you get sort of miniatures that have got a lot of armor on. Um, when you uh, let's have a think. Uh, yeah, the, the the leader of the militia faction, who's called Forek. Uh, is basically a guy with no top on, uh, sort of uh, swaggering a little bit with a gun over his shoulder. Um, <laughs> so I, I feel like we, what we tried to do was create it, create a bit of balance. So forty um, percent of the range uh, is female, sixty percent male. So we just made sure that every faction has five characters of whom two are female. Um, and um, yeah, what more is there to say on that one? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's uh, for me. It's about context, you know, very much like you said. Yep. I think if you've got, um, you know, because being female doesn't mean that you are, you know, that you can't be sexual in the same way that if you're male, you can't show your pecs. You know, yeah. <laughs> but is that you? You know, is that all you are, or is that part of what you are as a, a character? You know, if it's if it's appropriate, then it's appropriate, right? If you've mm-hmm. got a, a butts and barmaid miniature in D and D. It's a books and barmaid miniature. If you've got a warrior, yeah. it shouldn't also look like the books and barmaid. We shouldn't talk about barmaids. Yeah. Our D&D group has had a bad experience with them. <laughs> well, to be fair, you had a, a bad experience with two doppelgangers. Yeah. 
They almost killed us. <laughs> well, they also they almost killed the two characters that went off um, blindly, even though everybody's saying this has to be a trap. The only other attractive female that's approached us was a, a green hag. But yet still they went. <laughs> so maybe it just shows that you know male characters are oh, always stupid. trapped <laughs> by a pretty face and a little bit of cleavage. So. <laughs> okay, thanks, James. Anything that you'd like to particularly uh, bring out about the Drowned Earth and the, the upcoming campaign and the kind of background of the, uh, the universe? Well, I think the thing I'd, I'd, I'd like to stress the most is just that we are... Um, we're very, very keen for people to get involved in the beta testing uh, aspect of the game. We'd really love to involve the community in uh, guiding the rules and guiding the rules development. I, I feel like we've already done quite a lot of beta testing on the core rules, but there's, there's you know, no such thing as too much. Uh, what we're particularly interested in now is, is, is having lots of table experience of the actual profiles themselves and making sure that they are nicely balanced and there aren't fiendish combinations uh, which are game-breaking. Uh, and so, you know, anybody who's interested in that aspect of game design or anybody who just wants to, you know, sort of be involved in that kind of a process uh, should definitely get hold of me on, you know, on, on our Facebook group. Just search for The Drowned Earth on Facebook or you can send me a message on the uh, website, drowndearth.com. Okay. Thanks very much, James. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Um, I think that just brings us to our listener poll. And uh, one of the things I, I'm going to open it up to, sort of involving the Drowned Earth, but I think it's a bit unfair to, to directly put one you know, straight at James at this stage. But I think I'll broaden it out into more about, is there a place in a crowded market for more 28mm skirmish games? We've got a lot of different systems out there at the moment. We've talked about ones on the podcast as well. Personally, I think the Drowned Earth sounds like a very engaging setting mm. um, and i really like the way that the factions are actually based around ideologies rather than race but just in terms of you know what people there are a lot of games out there at the moment 28 millimeter skirmish is a really crowded market what do people think about that so that's what we'll put up on the website please go ahead have a look at the the blog go over to that listener poll and uh, give us your give us your thoughts there so that just about wraps us up for this episode my thanks to our listeners out there in the gaming world for tuning in and downloading the show if you like what we're doing Again, please give us feedback on iTunes, send us any comments, queries or requests to our blog, which you can find either through Facebook or on the web by searching for Man's Model Moments. So, from me, signing off on the Hub Systems, it's Alex. And Oscar. And James, thank you very much. We'll see you next time. <laughs>